You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Today we're starting a brand new message called Life After the Tomb. And what we're looking at is we're looking at the life of Jesus from the resurrection to the ascension. And, and if you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So the Bible tells us that there was approximately 40 days that he walked this earth after he rose from the grave. And uh, this is something that I, I've looked at and I've thought, well, what did, why did Jesus stick around? What was that about? Where did he go? Who did he talk to? What happened? What was his agenda? Today's message is titled, And Peter. We're going to look at the relationship that Jesus had with Peter. And Jesus had a specific purpose, a specific mission for Peter after Jesus rose from the grave. And in fact, he sends Peter, this coded message, we're going to start in Mark chapter 16, verse 5, says this, As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And verse 7 says this, But go... Tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, why in the world would Peter have been singled out? Why would he have been called out like that? You know, this week we had a lot of snow. And in my backyard, I, I actually have one tree branch that broke because of the weight of the snow. And when I think about Simon Peter, there were circumstances around him that just broke him. In fact, the famous story is this. Peter famously denies Christ three times. Jesus told him he would deny him three times. And that's exactly what happened. Peter was discouraged. And maybe in Peter's mind, three strikes and he's out, you know, he's done. And maybe he thinks he's out of the circle and he's out of the family and he's out of God's will, whatever it is. But Jesus says, and Peter, he uses this angel to say, and Peter, how do you think Peter felt when he was called out? You think he was thinking, Jesus is going to come down on me. Jesus is going to scold me. He's going to humiliate me. He's, you know, Peter might think I'm no longer the rock that Jesus thought I was. How do you handle life when people hurt you? Maybe you trusted someone and maybe you called them a friend or maybe you lived under the same roof with them or maybe you did a lot with them and maybe you shared with them and you sacrificed and then one day they hurt you. And you still hear their words. You still feel their pain. You still remember when you were unfriended, whatever it might be. And is there a part of you that just wants to, wants to see them wallow in their pain? If we're honest with ourselves, there's a part of us that might think, you know, I want bad things to happen to you because you hurt me. I want you to live in a state of guilt. I want you to suffer. And, and maybe you even have that ability to write them off 
You just take out your emotional sword and you cut them out of your life and you keep going forward as if nothing had happened. Y'all want you to hear this. You matter to God. In fact, you matter more to God than you realize. You need to hear that. When you look at Peter after the resurrection, Peter was the disciple that ran to the tomb with the apostle John. And scripture says when they showed up, John stood outside, but Peter was the one who went inside of the tomb. That was Peter. Peter was also the same guy that you read about, that he was with those disciples when Jesus appeared. Peter was there. Peter was there. Peter was also in John chapter 21. He was the one that made the suggestion, let's go fishing. They were waiting and they, didn't, they were kind of in limbo land, didn't know what was going to happen. And Peter said, let's go fishing. It's a really fascinating passage in John chapter 21, because in this passage, you read that they're not catching anything. And there's some stranger on the beach that says, put your net out on the side of the boat. And they put it on the side of the boat. And there's so many fish that it's hard to bring up, but the nets don't tear. That's another message. The nets don't tear. And then someone says, it's the Lord. And Peter looks up and recognizes it's Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And verse seven of chapter 21 says this, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. I think this is incredible because Peter has had these these failures in his life and he might feel guilty and, and he might have all kinds of mixed emotions, but there's something inside of Peter that wants to be with Jesus. And rowing to the shore is not quick enough for Peter. Peter jumps out of the boat and starts swimming as fast as he can to be with his Lord. And at this point, Jesus has not reinstated Peter. I want, to hear, I want you to hear this. When you taste the goodness of God, nothing else has any flavor. When you taste the goodness of God, nothing else has any flavor. There's nothing sweeter than the goodness of God. Someone said it like this. When you discover who Jesus is, you realize you don't need anything else. When you taste that goodness of God, you just, everything else pales in comparison. Peter wants to be with Jesus and he, he, he just rips, he put, throws his you know, garment around him and he jumps into the water. He doesn't, he just overlooks his fear of rejection. He just wants to be with Jesus. And when Jesus asked Peter, if he, he loved him. He's cooking fish tacos on the beach. And then Jesus eventually has these little, little conversation with Peter. And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus uses this word called agape, which means a total commitment. Jesus says, do you agape mean? And Peter responds by, I phileo you. That means I have a love for you, but it's not necessarily a total commitment. And Jesus asked him three times, do you agape me? Do you agape me? And Peter's response was, I phileo you. This was not because Peter was reluctant to express that greater love, but because he had been disobedient and he denied the Lord three times and he just couldn't find it in himself to say, I 
agape you, I give you my total commitment. But the Lord helped him with this. On January 5, 2020, Pastor Jeremy preached a great message on this passage, and I want to encourage you to to, to take a listen to that and find it on our podcast. But Jesus reinstates Peter spiritually, emotionally, and psychologically. Jesus doesn't leave Peter where he found him. It's an incredible picture of the love of God. It's an incredible. As I prepared for this sermon, the Lord put something on my heart when I, I see the interaction between Jesus and Peter. And, and the thing that comes to my mind, the question that comes to my mind in this passage is, why? Why? Jesus could have moved on from Peter. Jesus could have said, okay, Peter, you had your shot. And now we're going to go with Matthew. You had your shot. Well, we're going to move on and we're going to go with Nathaniel or whoever it is. We're going to move on. We're going to move to another disciple, Peter. You had your chance. Three strikes and you're out. What is inside of the heart of God that compels him to not give up? What is it about God that compels him to not give up on you and me? And why is it that we have this God that desires us and when we fail, God God continues to give us a second chance. What's inside of God? Why? And the Lord took me to some passages in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. The last part of that verse says, God is love. Now, I recognize there's a lot of love that's going on around our world right now. In the midst of this pandemic, you see beautiful images of love between neighbors and in hospitals and, and patients and, and medical staff and, and love is elevated and we're, we're to love each other and we're in this together. And, and many of us value that virtue called love. I want you to hear this. I want you to know who's the author of love. I want you to know who is love and it's God almighty. He is love. And it's because of him that we're able to love. He showed us what love is by sending his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world. God demonstrates his love over and over and over. Psalm 86 tells us, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. If you were to look inside of God, you would find compassion and grace. And he's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's who God is. He's love. So if you value love, then you should value the person, the creator, God himself. In fact, I would say this, if you value love, but you don't know God's love, then your love is short-sighted. It's incomplete. I believe we become better lovers when we know God, when we know his grace and his compassion and his mercy, we become better lovers, better husbands, better men, 
better wives, better women. Wherever you're at in life, if you don't know God, then you really don't know love. This is the love of Jesus. Romans chapter 8, beautiful passage. Verse 35 says this, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And look at verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord." Have you considered that? There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. No experience, no sin, no mistake. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love. And this is what pushes Jesus to reach out to Simon Peter. This is why Jesus didn't move on and say, I'll just move to another disciple. It's because there was something, this love inside of Jesus that says, I see Peter and I love him. It's the same love that pushes him to move in your life. It's the same love that pushes Christ to reach out to you even when you Push him away. It's the same love of Jesus that seeks you out even when you do not seek him out. It's the same love of Jesus that that reaches out to you and believes in you even though you do not believe in him. It's this love inside of God that says, I'm not going to give up on you. I love you and I'm going to woo you into a relationship with me. That's what the Lord does. It's that love that pushes him not to give up. And he wants you to know him. He wants to move in your life. That's what's motivating Jesus to reach out to Simon Peter. What's inside of God that won't let someone stay down? Paul gives the answer to this question. As the Lord spoke to me and I thought, okay, what is this love? Why is God so concerned about us? Why is it that God will not give up on us? What's at stake? What's at stake? And the Lord took me to a place in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I believe this passage right in this 2 Corinthians chapter 2 helps us understand why Jesus did not give up on Simon Peter and why Jesus does not give up on you and me. In this passage, Paul the Apostle is writing this letter to this church in Corinth. 
Now, Paul the apostle is someone who's been gripped by the love of God. He's always believed in God, but he never had a personal relationship with Jesus until the road to Damascus. And he miraculously saw Jesus and his life was changed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church. And there's this problem that's happening in this church. And we don't know specifically what the problem is, but whatever happened, it was a person who offended many. Now, maybe it was a sin, whatever the case was. And Paul gets in the middle of this and he writes this encouraging note to this church involving loving this person. I'm going to start at verse five. It says, if anyone, so Paul says, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. So based on this passage, we understand that, that there was pain involved. There was some hurt involved. And we don't know specifically what happened, but there was, there was this hurt and pain and there was a punishment that was inflicted. And apparently the majority are in, in agreement that it was wrong. I want you to hear this. People who routinely hurt people are used to feelings, resentment from others. People who routinely hurt people are used to being ostracized. People who routinely hurt people are used to being unfriended. They are used to being cut off. They are used to the cold shoulder. They are used to being ousted. People who hurt people are used to that. And Paul the Apostle is talking to these Christians in Corinth. And he's saying, don't oust them. You need to be different. Your love needs to look like the love of your father. Jesus is calling his followers to love differently. Our love should be different from the way the world loves. The love of a Christian should be different from someone who doesn't know Christ. The love of a believer should be different from one who is an unbeliever. And the love of someone who goes to church regularly should be different from the someone who doesn't go to church. Our love should be different. In fact, Jesus said, you will know his disciples, his followers by their love, by their love. It was even during this pandemic, there was a, a pandemic in the early church and the early church became famous for their love. During this pandemic in the early church, those people who were sick were literally pushed out to the streets. And in the, it was the early church Christians who went out to the streets and loved on these people and their love became famous. Bob Goff said it like this, the way we love difficult people is some of the best evidence that the tomb was really empty. Our love should reflect a barren tomb. Our love should reflect the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Such a beautiful old song. Because he lives, all my fear is gone. Because he lives, 
because he lives. Everything changes. And verse seven, Paul goes on to say this. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him. Now, I'll just be honest. I'm not excited about this. <laughs> that, that advice right there doesn't feel good because it's a lot easier to put someone out of sight and out of mind and say, I forgave them. I'm over it. But here, Paul the Apostle is telling the early church, I don't want you to just forgive. I want you to go and I want you to comfort this guy. Comfort them. Forgive him and comfort him. The way you love says more about your soul and less about your issue. I'm going to say that again because I want you to hear that. The way you love says more about your soul and less about your issue. People who know God love people. People who know the love of God at a personal life-changing level love people. And especially the difficult ones. Jesus made it really clear your love really doesn't count when you love people that you like. Even sinners and tax collectors do that. Your love really counts when you love the difficult people. When you love the people that you know, might not necessarily like. And then Paul goes on to say why this is important to God. So that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. If you were here right now with me, I just want you to say excessive sorrow with me. And, and Paul says, this is why you need to love. This is why you need to forgive. This is why you need to comfort so that he will not be overwhelmed. That word overwhelmed means a lot. I, I unpacked it a little bit in the original Greek language. It means this, to drink down, to gulp entire, to devour, to drown, to swallow up. And Paul is saying someone who has caused hurt could be devoured. Someone who is wallowing in their, in their grief, in their sorrow, in their guilt, in their shame could be swallowed up. They could drown. They could be devoured by what? Excessive sorrow. This word excessive sorrow means this, this heavy grief. This excessive grief, this pain, this weight, this hurt. It's a spiritual condition of the heart. You have to remember that we are souls wearing shoes. <laughs> we are souls with flesh. And the soul could be weighed down because of a spiritual failure. We're spiritual beings. We have to manage our souls. That's why people all over the place, that's why people crave for healing for their soul. That's why you can do life with a broken soul, a broken spirit, and, and you feel it, and it affects you at this level where it affects you at work, at school, or whatever it is. It affects you. Paul goes on to tell the church in Corinth this, I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. 
earlier, Paul said, you've got to forgive and you need to comfort so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And then he goes on to say, reaffirm your love for him. Reaffirm it. Well, what was Jesus doing with Simon Peter? And Peter, what was that about? Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to the beach and Jesus offers him food. Over and over, you see Jesus reaffirming his love for Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter is, is, is hearing, he's at the, at the feet of Jesus and Jesus is reaffirming that love. Jesus could have left Peter in a state of guilt, grief, and sorrow. When you reaffirm your love on someone, listen to this. When you reaffirm your love on someone, it can produce kingdom fruit that far outweighs the hurt and the pain. When you reaffirm your love on someone, it can produce kingdom fruit that far outweighs the hurt and pain. Hurt and pain is very personal. That's why when we feel hurt and pain, we respond in a way that's very personal. Because in the center of hurt and pain is me, my feelings. And Jesus is looking past this. It's almost as if he sees through that hurt and pain, and he sees who Peter is. And Paul is saying the same thing to the church in Corinth. He's saying, I want you to look past. This person hurt a lot of people and, and, and there's a lot of just nasty stuff and bad stuff and negative stuff, but look past all of this and you need to express love. You need to forgive and you need to comfort so that that person would not be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow and you need to reaffirm this love on them. Paul goes on to say in verse nine, another reason I wrote you was to see if you, would if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Okay, now Paul is bringing up a whole different angle on this picture and he's using the word test. And Paul is implying that this is a test of your character. This is a test of your love. This is a test of your relationship with God. This is a test to see if you are fully committed to Jesus Christ. If you fully resemble your rabbi. It's a test. Have you ever considered those difficult moments in your life are tests and those moments that attack you at a personal level are tests and God is looking at this and God is watching to see how you are going to respond to being hurt. Are you going to take it personal? How are you going to respond? Paul goes on to say this, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And would I have forgiven if there was anything to forgive? I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. And then look at verse 11. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. What? 
when did the devil come to play in this whole thing? And Paul throws in the name Satan and, and, and all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, this is about this guy who wronged everyone. Paul says, you've got to love them. You've got to comfort. You've got to forgive. You've got to reaffirm because they could be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. And by the way, this is a test and you need to be careful with all of this because we know that Satan can use this situation. So you have to remember something. The Bible makes it really clear. Satan is a deceiver. Satan is a liar. Satan is an accuser. Satan is the one who schemes. That is who he is. It's Satan's desire to separate you from God. It's Satan's desire to separate you from church. It's Satan's desire to separate you from anyone who loves you. He wants you to ultimately self-destruct. And Paul the Apostle is saying this whole excessive sorrow thing, they can be overwhelmed with it to the point that the enemy uses this and they can potentially walk away from God. Some of you can identify with that. Maybe there was a time when you used to walk with God or maybe there was a time when you used to be in church. Maybe there was a time when you were more sensitive to the work of the Spirit but you were hurt. You were hurt. And maybe you're, you consider yourself a Christian, but maybe you don't trust people anymore. Maybe you consider yourself a Christian, but you don't attend church anymore. Maybe you don't serve anymore. Maybe you don't give anymore. Maybe, maybe you're the kind of Christian that really just kind of builds their own church around their own walls and you listen to podcasts and you determine where to give and when to give. And Paul is saying, in the midst of all this, Satan will take advantage of the situation. I've always said this, hurt is wonderful fertilizer for the devil. Hurt is wonderful fertilizer for the devil. See, some of you are stuck. You're stuck in your failure. You're stuck in your sin. You're stuck in your guilt. You're stuck in your shame. And you're just stuck. And you can't, you're like this person is just kind of sitting there and you can't move your feet as much as you want to because you are stuck. You're spiritually stuck. You're emotionally stuck. And you're stuck because you made this mistake or whatever it might've been, this time of hurt, this time of pain. And you're just stuck. God wants you to move forward. God wants you to experience all of him. See, God has a future for you, but you cannot experience it until you get unstuck. You can't be stuck in your hurt and stuck in your pain and stuck in your shame and experience the future that God has for you. God wants to free you from that. God wants you to experience his love and his grace and the future that he has for you. Some of you are not experiencing the future God has for you because you're stuck in the past. God wants to unstuck you. God wants to pull you out. God wants you to experience the future that he has for you. Peter was stuck. And Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you there. 
Jesus reaches out to him. Paul the Apostle is telling this church in Corinth, this guy is stuck and he's overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. Don't let him stick there. You have to remember there was something else. You know, Peter talked about Satan involved with this church and this one guy. Well, Jesus had the same conversation with Simon Peter. Before Simon Peter denied Christ three times, Jesus gave him a heads up. And you find this heads up in Luke chapter 22. He says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Wow. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. That beautiful Jesus is telling Simon Peter, look, <clears throat> I just need you to know there's an, there's an alternate reality happening here. There's a spiritual reality and you don't see it, but Satan has asked permission to sift you, to test you, to try you. And he tells Simon Peter, watch out, watch out. It reminds me of this spiritual reality that exists today. It still does exist today. In, in Ephesians, we read that there's, there's a battle with spiritual forces and spiritual dominions, and there's a spiritual reality to everything. And here, Jesus is saying, watch out. And I love the last part of what Jesus says. And when you have turned back, <laughs> and when you have turned back, it's almost like Jesus is aware that Simon's going to blow it. And he says, and when you have turned back, because I just know you, Simon. I just know you. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. There's this beautiful thing that happens when someone repents and turns to the Lord, truly repents. Repent isn't about face. It's like you're going this way and you're saying, I know I'm living this life and it's not honoring to God, but I'm gonna turn away from that life and I'm gonna live for Jesus Christ. That's the repentance. I'm gonna give him my whole heart, total commitment, total surrender, total abandonment to follow my Jesus. And some of you need to make that decision. And when someone does that, they become aware of that sin. And here, Peter, Jesus is telling Peter, look, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Let me say it this way. Those people who repent and turn to the Lord, they have a burden inside of them to tell others about the grace and the love and the life God has for them. And you truly understand the weight of that sin, and you truly experience the forgiveness in Christ, you desire other people to know that same freedom, that same love. Excessive sorrow can make you become complacent. When you're stuck in that place and excessive sorrow comes down on you, you could become complacent about a lot of things. You can be in this place and say, I don't care anymore. I don't care about God anymore. I don't care about church anymore. I don't care about his will anymore. I don't care about the future anymore. I don't care about myself. You can 
allow this weight, this darkness to overtake you and it could become a spiritual problem really quick. When you keep reading in the letters of Paul shares with, with, with the Corinthians, he talks about different sorrows and, and this excessive sorrow is different from godly sorrow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it says this, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So there's a good sorrow that involves you turning back to the Lord. That's a conviction that's a feeling that I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have whatever. That's a godly sorrow. God wants you to turn to him with all of your heart. And the enemy can take that sorrow and make it evil where it becomes a more of a worldly sorrow where then it's self-destructive. So a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow are two different things. Why would Jesus reach out to Peter? Psalm 34 says this, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Glory to God. Psalm 147 says this, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. See, God looked past the sin of Peter. God looked past the weakness. God looked past the moment. God saw who Peter would become. I love Acts when you see Acts, you see this new Peter after the Holy Spirit, after Pentecost. Peter, before Pentecost, he was around a few people around a fire and he denied Christ three times. Well, he learned a lot from that. He moved forward and Jesus reinstated him. Jesus had a special forgiveness in mind for Peter. And when you flip the pages and you look at the early church and you see the very first sermon, you see a new Peter. And Acts chapter two, verse 14 says this, then Peter stood up and he delivers this phenomenal message. And scripture says that thousands were added to the church that day. See, he couldn't have stood up with that boldness he couldn't, maybe he wouldn't have even been in that situation if it wasn't for the love of God, if it wasn't for the love of Jesus, if it wasn't for Jesus saying, I'm not gonna give up on you. You're still my man. I'm not gonna let you go. I believe in you. See, Jesus looked at him and said, I love you so much and I want you to experience the grace and, and he poured into him. It was worth it because he knew the future of Peter's ministry would produce great fruit. It was worth it. It's an incredible message for us. When you allow Jesus Christ to take over all of your life and you totally commit to the will of God, to the point where you're willing to let go of those things that God wants you to let go. You're willing to walk away from those things that God wants you to walk away from. When you give all of yourself to Jesus, you experience a new future. 
God uses you in a fresh way, a new life. And the fruit that you produce in your new life is great. And it's kingdom fruit and it matters and it it builds up souls. And it's a beautiful thing, but you could never experience that new life until you are willing to be unstuck. See, God sees your future. God sees the forgiven you. God sees the spirit-filled you. And God wants you to experience that life. Whatever you're holding on to is not worth it. Whatever that has caused you to get stuck, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. God loves you and you're not watching this video by accident. I want to give you an opportunity to turn to the Lord. Wherever you're at, I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. However the Lord has moved in your heart, would you bow your heads right where you're at? Maybe close your eyes and maybe say this prayer. Jesus, right now, I turn to you with all of my heart. I give you myself. And right now, Jesus, as best as I know how, first of all, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me for my sins. I want to live for you. Others of you, maybe you're stuck. Maybe there was a moment that you felt like was a defining moment in your spiritual life, and maybe God is calling you out. Maybe the Lord wants to show his love to you and wants to deliver you from being stuck. Maybe you need to say this prayer. Jesus, help me. I don't want to be stuck in this place anymore. I want to experience the future you have for me. So God, right now, I ask you to free me. Set me free. Get me unstuck. I give you all of myself, total commitment to you. Thank you for your grace and your love. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church give.